All right. Hey, everybody. So good to see you this morning. Welcome to New Life Church as we're going to get into the Word today. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Heart for the House Sunday today. That We call it that because about three times a year we like to kind of come together for a specialized um, opportunity of worship for us as we cast vision for other for what lies ahead we like to look back and reflect and thank the lord for the things that that have happened already this year we're already into about to cross over into uh the ninth month of the year I and mean, so a lot of things have happened uh and good things that have happened in the life of our church so far at the um the first half of this year and we're going to get into a few of those things and talk about a few of those things but let's start out with our our, our main text today first corinthians chapter three uh it's a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the believers in the churches in Corinth. Verse 5. He says, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. He said, I planted seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was good who made it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Let's pray today over this. Father God, thank you today for your presence in our life. Thank you for your presence here as a church family. Thank you for meeting us where we are and always longing to take us further than we ever thought we could go in you. So as we open your word now, we ask that you would speak to us. Give us a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of your word and of you for our lives, for our families, and for our church. And I ask that you would help me to bring forth your word that we would honor you and help your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Throughout the New Testament, the New Testament covers a whole lot of topics, wouldn't you say? It covers a whole lot of subject, subjects and situations and things to that nature. And um, from false teachings, Paul and others deal with that, to false prophets, false leaders that have snuck into the church. You see that kind of throughout. It deals with marriage. It deals with family. It deals with certain other pinpointed things as well. And one of the things here that we're going to look at today that Paul highlights and spotlights, rather, is, is the issue about personal preference being bigger than what God has for us. You know, if we're, over, the, over time and, and throughout, especially in the Western world and the American church, we can get caught up in it being about personal preferences and not as much as about God being the center of our life. You know, you, ever, you, you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever been in some uncomfortable situations, but it didn't phase you because you knew you were right in the center of God's will. Whatever, it might have been a tough conflict at work, maybe a, a difficult uh, relationship at home. Uh, maybe it was that you were at the crossroads of making some big decisions, but you, you stuck with what you felt was right in the Lord's eyes and a 
to his word. And it might have been uncomfortable and maybe uh, felt uneasy, but you knew you were going to be okay because you put God at the center of it. And no matter what, when you have God at the center of it, really when it comes down to it, our personal preferences really don't matter. Not that God doesn't care about preference, not that he doesn't care about us as a person, but we can get caught up if we're not careful in making our personal preferences triumph over God's will and his center of our life. And Paul is tackling this issue here with the church at Corinth and the believers, and he, he, he asks them this question, who's Apollos? And who is Paul? And pa Apollos was a great preacher. Uh, you can read about him a little bit in Acts chapter 18. He was a great preacher. He was, in fact, he was very well versed in scripture, and he was a, an enthusiastic preacher. He was very charismatic, if, you, if we could give it that modern-day term. He was very charismatic, very enthusiastic. And so the people were liking him, and they were comparing him to Paul. And, and Paul was not coming in to take up for himself or defend himself. Paul was coming in to say, look, we got to be careful that we not have our personal preference trump no, no draw to the president. And we use that word today. Everybody gets their stuff in the in a wad. So anyway, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We can't allow personal preferences to dictate what God's will is and his center for our life. And here, here's the thing. Paul's getting down to the thing about, look, Paulos is good. Paul is fine. We're just servants. But here's what really matters. God makes the seed grow. Does it matter about personal preference? Many times what matters is that God is in our life and that God is the center of our life. And he comes out and he says, look, we are God's workers, meaning, hey, we partner with God. We are in partnership with what God is wanting to do in the life of his people on earth. We're in partnership with him. And he says, well, you are God's field. In other words, God is at work in your life. We are God's field. God is at work in our life. I mean, there is relationship going on between us and him. And you, you are God's building. In other words, God has ownership. And you just need to let him expand and you need to let him build and you need to let him make what he wants to make out of your life. And if you do that, what Paul's saying is, look, when we make ourselves available to God, the more we make ourselves available to him, guess what happens? We begin to understand our real purpose on earth. People are trying to figure out, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, when we make ourselves available to, to the Lord, he always has a way of opening our eyes and helping us to understand what he's called each of us to. When we make God the main attraction of our life, making him the center of our life, we thrive in what we're called to do on this earth. Relationships and other things have a way of blossoming when we put God at the center of our life. And when we keep him at the center of our life, here's what Paul's saying, what will happen is your life will grow, and if we as a church keep God at the center in our church, our church grows. Things come alive. Things blossom and things bloom and the conclusion that Paul's getting at here is reminding them one thing and that is this we are in this together we need to remember that that each one of our respective roles each one of our respective parts in church is not more important than the other Paul also dealt with that later in 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14 that every member has a place every member has a function and it's all about that functioning member doing its part and as that functioning member does its part then the whole body can grow and can be built up and can be what it's intended to be and so he, the, 
Paul's conclusion in this, uh, in this and this is what we're going to run with today. Together, we are the church. And that's what I've titled today's message, We Are the Church. You know, it's hard to believe that just about five and a half years ago, we sold our former property and moved here. Is it, I don't know how it feels to some of you. Maybe some of you it feels like 40 years, but others maybe it just is a blink of an eye. But five and a half years ago, uh, we, 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 uh, we, we, sold, we officially sold. And uh, a little over six and a half years ago, we, we began to make that announcement and the preparation of that. And um, it's pretty phenomenal. Just a quick reminder, some of the reasons we did that, it wasn't because we wanted to. It, first and foremost, we felt God's ordained will was in the middle of all of it. And, um, and then another reason was it was about a stewardship-minded decision and a ministry-minded decision uh, that we wanted ministry to flourish out of the life of this church. And we didn't want to be held back for any reasons, especially financial reasons. And, and uh, you know, really as a church these last five, five and a half years, we kind of had to rediscover and, and gain our, get our bearings again as a church and get healthy in some areas of, of our church overall. There's been some changes. There's been some accomplishments. We, we relaunched as New Life Church uh, from Family Worship Center and to New Life Church. We officially paid all of our debts off. We're no longer in debt as a, as a church and as a ministry, praise God. Uh, and we've, we've also been able to really make um, our ministry uh, agenda happen in the sense we don't want ministry to, to be uh, less than what we believe God's called us to do, especially to have financial strongholds holding us back from doing that. And so debt can do that, and that's one big thing, and that was a big thing for us. And, uh, but nonetheless, we have made a, commit, we made a commitment that, hey, as a church, we're going to be committed to the Great Commission. Jesus' words to the disciples in Matthew 28 after his resurrection, he says, listen to me, I've got a charge for you. You need to go out in the world and you need to make disciples. You need to teach them everything that I've taught you and you need to mark them and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, I will be with you all the way through it all. Aren't you thankful for that? That when you follow God's will, even though you experience difficult moments and seasons of life, the guarantee and the promise of God is that he is with us. That he is with us, and he has been with us, and I'm so thankful of that. About a year ago, we, we, we were in the kind of the beginning stages of celebrating about a six, over a six-week period of time, the 40-year anniversary of our church as a whole, the ministry and from its inception. And, um, and that was a pretty big time for us last year to remember, to reflect, to honor, but also to look ahead with hope and expectation for what lies ahead in the life of our church. But... Through it all, we are committed to the Great Commission to make disciples, to do what Jesus said to do. You know, over the centuries, the church has been committed to that mission. Uh, you look at the New Testament, definitely committed to the mission of making disciples, the Great Commission. The methods have changed over the, over, from generation to generation, and that's the case. The methods of how it happens change from generation to generation, but the commitment nonetheless remains the same. And that has been our thing. We want to continue. We have been and we want to continue to make the main thing the main thing. We don't want to get caught up in what personal preference may do or may, may, may feel like. Uh, we all have them. Uh, we all are tempted to live by those. But sometimes our personal preferences are not really what God says to do with our life. 
Sometimes there are things we just have to do without in order to fulfill God's call. Then there are other times there's an abundance of certain things and we're right in the middle of God's will. But that's the key, being in the middle of God's will, being at the center of what he has for our life and keeping him at the center of what he has for our life. In fact, we kind of developed a little motto throughout that time over the last five and a half, five and a half years that we're, our mission has not been to save a building. Our mission has been to save people. Our mission has been to save people, and we want to carry on with that. As our vision describes us at New Life Church, we want to be a, a church filled with the Holy Spirit of God, a church that's filled multi-generationally, multi-racially across the board, but committed to making devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The thing that, that Jesus didn't say in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 about the Great Commission is that it would be very hard to make disciples. But it is. It is not an easy task for a, for a church to make disciples. Why? I think one big reason is we all have our own personal preferences. <laughs> right? We all have our own personal preferences. I, I'm holding my daughter's plastic cell phone in my pocket for some reason. A Barbie phone. She has a personal preference. So do we, right? We all have our own personal preferences. But Paul here in 1 Corinthians 3, that he was adamant. He was adamant. He, he, you know, Paul was a protective person when it came to what God had entrusted into his care. And he had nothing against Apollos. They were friends. He had nothing against the church at Corinth. He, he was there for them. But what he was protective of was that, hey, church... Let's not let our personal preferences get in the way of keeping God at the center of our life. Let's not get so comfortable in our personal preferences that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to make us uncomfortable at times. You know, it's, it, when, when, the, when the nudge of the Holy Spirit happens, sometimes it can make us uncomfortable. But there's also an overwhelming peace when we just go along with what he's called us to do. And that's really where we need to live. That's where I wish I could live there every single day of my life. I, on the drive to church this morning, I was thinking, I'm such, I'm at peace. It felt right this morning. I'm like, Lord, why can't I just live here every day? Right? But that's not, that's not the real world. But what is true is God's peace, is God's presence in every situation, in every season, in every struggle, in every setback. And Paul was wanting to make sure this church understood, hey, and helping us to understand today is that, hey, let's not make it about personal preference. Let's make it about make more room for God in your life. Make more room for God in your life. And when you make more room for God in your life, your life grows. So look, you are his field. You are his building. You are in relationship with him. You, you are with him and he is in you. And he is, wants to expand in your life and grow in your life and make more room for him. And when we make more room for God in our life and we make more room for God in our church, guess what happens? We grow. Things take off. And I, and I use that word grow as a church kind of cautiously because I don't want us to get caught up in comparing the size of our church to another church and thinking the size is what determines the success. No, it's the size of God in a human heart that makes the determination of success. It's being connected with him, abiding with him. Amen? 
I know I didn't get a lot of amens on that one. So, but with a few minutes I have remaining, I want to I want to zero in on on three distinct, clear calls that God gives the church. He gives many calls across the board, but I'm just going to zero in on three. Three that that um, that that are from the Word of God. That obviously, if they were an issue back then, they are an issue here today in our day and time. Things that if they were a struggle for the church back then, there's a, there's still a part of a struggle going on in it today in our day and time. And so, I'm so thankful that God is not so ancient that He is not aware of our current status. He is timeless and he is seamless. He's the alpha, the beginning, and he's the omega, the end. And he's all the way through it. All the way through it. We're going to look at three distinct clear calls God gives the church. The first one is this. God calls the church to worship together. God calls us to worship together. Look at this verse on the screen, Hebrews 10.25, out of the Passion Translation. It says, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. So we're going to just do what he says, and we're going to have a service every day, seven days a week. So we're going to meet at 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. We're going to meet at, at 5 p.m. on Saturday, and we're going to keep this 1030 service. I don't think that's what he's getting at. What is he getting at? Make community, the aspect of worshiping together as a church, very, 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 very important. Very important. Very important. Why? Well, one, it will highlight, so we come together eager to encourage one another. Now, if we did a little survey, I would dare say 100% would, some, would, would check, I need encouragement in my life at some point in my week. And what better time frame to get that than the church collectively coming together to do that? You know, it would be very discouraging for me if I showed up on Sunday and nobody else showed up. And if I did that for 52 weeks out of the year, I probably wouldn't do this anymore. Because I would just be at home and lead my own little family at home, right? But here's what happens. When certain parts of the body are missing, certain aspects of encouragement are not showing up. But when the body of Christ gathers, connects, worships together, you bring the encouragement for someone else. And I, and I had a member just, they had to leave just now because they weren't feeling well. But they came this morning and they said, I came with such excitement. I'm, I left my inhaler at home and I'm not feeling well, so I got to get home. And I, I'm, I'll obviously go, you do what you need to do. I said, but you could see it in their eyes and in their voice. They didn't want to leave. They, they had a measure of something they were bringing and a measure of expectation that they had for themselves. To me, that, that's a mark of someone who has a heart open to receive and to be whatever that God wants to do in their life. And we're called to worship together. Now, he said, now, some have formed this habit of not doing that. Now, 
roll with me here. Think about this. At the time of the letter of this writing, if that was happening then, think about our extremely fast-paced society today. How many are in the habit of not coming together, meeting, worshiping together? This message is not to make anybody feel bad. This message is to highlight and spotlight the value, the significance, the biblical parameter that God has called us, the mandate from the Lord to worship together, not for the sake of fulfilling a spiritual obligation or a religious duty. Because we can get caught up real fast in doing that. Any one of us, we can make prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, serving, get well, you name it, we can all make it about a spiritual and a religious obligation and duty and not be out of relationship. And God wants relationship because it breeds life. It breeds movement. It breeds excitement. It breeds purpose for what the Lord has for each one of our lives. So what happens when a church like ours comes together? Well, we pray. We pray with each other. We pray for each other. We encourage, as I mentioned. We get a chance to fellowship with each other and have some meaningful conversations with one another. That's why it's important that if you can get here not at 1040 after church starts, but at like maybe, let's just say, try 1015. Whether you like donuts or coffee or not, you'll find yourself get, getting in, involved in, in meaningful conversations. But I get it. We live in a world where we don't want anybody to intrude our space. I'm with you on that. I don't like people showing up at my house unannounced. And I'm a pastor. Good gracious, help me. <laughs> but I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> like, nope. What happens when we get together and worship together? We get to give to the Lord. We get to give back to God our tithe and our offering, how he has blessed us and strengthened us to work and earn. We get to be open to the teaching of the truth. We need truth in our life. Amen. We need truth in our life. If you're going to amen anything, nothing else, amen that. We need truth in our life. In a day and time, if it was Paul dealt with it then, we deal with it today. We are in an undated, we are... What's the word? Inundated with uh, false teachings all across the board. You name it. There's not someone necessarily standing in front of a, of a podium telling something, but it comes through all types of different ways and channels. We need truth. We get to connect with the heart of our pastors. We get to connect with the heart of God and his presence in our life. His tangible presence touching our life. There is great effect on our spiritual transformation as we worship God together as one body we also get to do this we get to touch and agree on the life change that jesus is making in someone else's life i mean that's powerful we get to be witnesses and cheerleaders and and, and, and partners in with the, what god is doing in other other people's lives we get to champion that for instance this year so far to date we've baptized four people we have welcomed three new families as members in our church we've dedicated a baby what does that mean? What is that communicating? It means that new people are coming to our church. New people are getting involved in our church. 
That God is drawing people to New Life Church. And that God is evident in the lives of the people of New Life Church. As you're out in your world doing your thing, I've heard many of you talk about how the Lord has used you to witness to someone else, has used you to be kind to someone else, has used you to just have a good conversation with someone else about the Lord. And some of you have invited people to church, and that's why they came. But we get to touch and agree on that, the the goodness of God, touching people's lives, changing people's lives. We get to celebrate that together as a church. Did you know that we have a little over 250 people on our directory? That our church is actually bigger than what you see on a Sunday morning. We're not the only church that struggles with attendance of having everyone who says they are a part of your church to show up all at one time. That's a lot of people. A little over 250 on that roll. We have about a little over 140 that are actually members of our church. We have about 100 chairs, a little over 100 chairs set up in here today. As you can see, there are some empty spaces. Just think if all 140 or so showed up at once. We have like 160 of these padded cushion chairs. Which, by the way, were a gift to us from another church. Praise God. We would have to set out all of them, which... That would be pretty great. I can't lie to you and say, no, that doesn't make me feel good when a lot of people show up to church because I'd be lying. We have the remainder of those are attenders and participants in different ways and different times and seasons of, of, of church. Here's a challenge back to Paul, or excuse me, back to the writer of Hebrews. It's not the time to pull away in our life. To not meet together. No, we should come together more frequently, encourage one another, especially as that day is dawning. What is that day? That day is the return of Christ. Especially between now and that day that Christ returns, we need to make worshiping together as a church a priority. And not that you don't, or not that anyone is not. I'm just saying it was an issue that they dealt with then, that they struggled and wrestled with then, and certainly it's one that the that church wrestles with today. Will you answer the call to God to make worshiping together with your church as big of a priority as you possibly can? Maybe if you attend once a month, I don't know, try twice a month. It's certainly not going to kill you. It might kill your personal preference. Maybe if you tend twice a month. I don't know, try three times a month. Give me three, give me three. We'll go four. We'll go four. What about those Sundays that have five in them? I'm kidding. What's my point? Point is, hey, will you risk getting out of personal preference? Now, I know I'm not talking to anybody in here today. This message is for everyone who's not here today. Okay, I get that. I get that. So, but will we answer the call to worship together? My next point. Three distinct clear calls God gives the church. The second one that we're going to talk about today is we are called to serve together. Ephesians 4.16. Out of the passion on the screen, it says, His body has been formed in His image and is closely joined together, constantly connected as one. Every member has been given divine gifts. Every member has been given divine gifts. 
to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and we are made perfect in love. I dare say we all need to be more loving. And I dare say we all need to be built up, exhorted, encouraged, strengthened. How does that happen? It happens when every member uses the divine gifts that they've been given to bring to the, t- to bring to the table, to bring to the field. We remember, we are God's field. We are called to use our divine gifts to build one another up. The opposite of that is true. If we do not use our divine gifts for the Lord, guess what happens? People don't get built up. People will not get spurred on to love more fervently, more compassionately, more Christ-like. You ever been in a conversation or witnessed a situation where you saw just real, pure, agape love, the love of Christ, talked or acted out in, and it challenged you? It challenged you? Yeah. Just think if you were not present to see that or to hear that act of love. No challenge. And I would dare say a lot of people don't put themselves out there to be present because we don't really want to be challenged to love. And that's what engagement in serving does for us. It challenges us to love more fervently and more passionately and more faithfully. We're called to use these gifts. This year we have been intentional about adding to the layers of our leadership and ministry teams as a church. We've added some elders, some deacons. These guys do things that are visible and invisible that you don't see or hear about, but they do and they make it happen. We've added to our praise and worship and our media teams. We've got more leaders. We've got more vocals. We've got more musicians. What am I saying? We also want more. Not because we're jealous or we're greedy. We just want to see you use your gift for the Lord. We've, we've added to our New Life Kids ministries on Sundays and Wednesdays. We've added to our S- Sunday serve uh, setup teams on Sunday morning with hospitality, greeting, setting up chairs, and other things that happen that take place to make this happen. In our outreach uh, ministry, the, the point is this, is our overall big picture long-term vision is we, God is calling us to plant more churches. God is calling us to plant more churches, and here's the thing. We can't plant more churches if we don't have people to plant, people to send, people raised up, people accepting the call of God to do this thing. That's why, even though I preach the majority of the time on Sundays, I'm developing a preaching and teaching team of other ministers in this church. And one of our really, really great preachers that can preach all around me is a female, Lindsay Young. She can preach. Why do I say those things? Because I want us to understand, church, it's not about a personal preference as much as it is about God being at the center and His will being accomplished in the life of New Life Church. Am I mindful of other churches? Absolutely. But I'm not 
spiritually responsible for another church. I'm spiritually responsible for this church. We want to add people to different layers of leadership and ministry teams, not so that we can see how many people we have going on for us, it's so that we can see you fulfill what God has for you. We want to see, and as we make ourselves available, God opens our eyes and God opens doors. Doors of opportunity for us to step out and step into for him. So I want to challenge our vision on serving is this. Don't see serving as a need being met. See serving as a calling to fulfill. When we say, hey, we need people to do this, we need people to step in here, step up there, what we're saying is that we're not needing you to just fill a spot. What we're saying is we want to see you fulfill your calling and become activated using your gifts. When I first was born again and our family was committed to the local church, I really didn't know the different gifts I had. I didn't know what the kind of the spiritual DNA God had put inside of me. But as I just began to make myself available to do this, to do that, to serve here, to serve there, our family began to realize, man, God's bigger than us. God has greater things in store for our lives. And it began to open our eyes and began to open the possibility, wow, God can really do something with us. And that's the same for you. God really can do something in your life. But will you see it as more of, as, not as a need being met, but as a calling that you have to fulfill? I want to challenge you with, use your divine gifts, every single one. Use your divine gifts to serve God, to serve others, to build other people up, and to make a level place where ministry can happen, the ministry of the gospel can happen, so that Jesus can be seen, he can be heard, and he can be received. That's what happens every single time someone sets a chair up, sets these curtains up, prepares coffee, creates an inviting, hospitable atmosphere. It's preparing a level place so that the gospel of Jesus can be seen, heard, and he can be received. Setting up a chair is not least important to me preaching. If there were no chairs, where would you sit? You'd probably go, oh, sit on the floor, we don't care. Yeah, try that 52 weeks out of the year if you come four Sundays a month. Here's my point. Here's Paul's point. Let's not over-spiritualize praying and under-spiritualize serving. Let's not over-spiritualize preaching and under-spiritualize and, uh, and uh, over-spiritualize preaching and under-spiritualize those who prepare coffee or put the bulletins out or whatever it is. What am I getting at? Hey, it's not about personal preference. It's God, whatever you want. God, whatever you desire, however you want to use my life at this p moment in time. I just want to be a vessel. I just want to be a person that you can use. I just want to be a person, God, that you can trust. I just want to be that kind of person, Lord, who can represent you, that when someone comes into my church or you send me out of my church to do something for you, I want people to know that I love you and that you love them. Amen? Serving does that for us. Last call, because there's food waiting, and I don't want to get in the way of people who are hungry. 
three distinct clear calls. Worship together, serve together. Lastly, that we'll talk, we're called to grow together. We are called to grow together. Check these verses out in Ephesians 4. It's the continuation of what Paul was getting at there in 4.16. We're going to look at verse 17. It says, So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, Paul says, You should not live like unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Verse 20, speaking to believers, the church. He says, But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. Verse 23. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed, to be transformed, to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of holiness. Wow. Now the background here is... Paul wrote this from a prison cell in Rome around A.D. 60. And he wrote it to the believers there in Ephesus with this intention and the understanding that, hey, this church, these, these groups of people are already worshiping together, serving together. They should be growing in Christ together. And But he admonishes them, hey, don't be tempted to go backwards. Don't be tempted to go back to your old way of life. You need to remember that God has saved you. God has redeemed you. God has recreated you. That you are called to be transformed. In other words, you're called to grow spiritually in Christ as you live embracing that relationship you have with him and with one another. So as we give ourselves fully to him, as we open our lives up and make more room for God in us, we are transformed. We, begin, we, we get changed from the inside out by the washing of his word, by the power and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Change takes place as we open our life up to him because the church, God's people, are called to grow spiritually together. But we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. Sitting in a church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Right? We have to be intentional about it. And what we focus in on, what we give our attention to, what we give our time to, and we give our energy to, and what we give our devotion to, that is who we will become. And God is calling us to grow together as a church. And not numerically speaking alone, spiritually speaking together. That I encourage you to get on a path of discipleship with this church. Get connected. If you're a young person, if you're a young person from elementary through into college, they meet at, we meet every Wednesday. We have an Awanas club that meets for kindergarten through sixth grade. Then we have seventh into college that meets called Glare. In fact, my daughters, my two youngest daughters, came out of their Awana's clubs Wednesday night running to me, and they were wearing these cool glasses. And their, their Awana's teacher, Miss Carla, had written on there. I saw her working on these, and I was like, what, what is she doing? And then I found out afterwards. She wrote on there 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so they're coming out out of their, out of their 
uh, class with these shades on, excited. I just had to borrow them for a moment today because I thought, you know, if we can teach our kids now, teach them young, that, hey, it's not all about what you see. Come on, we live in a, in a world that just looks by our natural eyes at things, at people. We give them the look down. We give them the drive-by. We give them the whatever. Why? Because we see so much right here, and we don't look beyond that through the eyes of faith, the way God looks at us. So thank you for teaching them that. Those are, that's just one of the lessons they learn every Wednesday. So I want to encourage you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, you got guardianship of your grandkids or your kids, listen, make Wednesday a priority for your children. And by all means, do not ground them from church. I'll show them, <laughs> you're grounded from church. Really? want to encourage you. Get on a path of discipleship. Join one of our community life groups. Join, I know we only have two right now. And we only meet once a month in those groups. But you'll be surprised when you give yourself to the circle of community, how that circle of community will wrap around you and be there with you, and you be there for them. I'm going to ask Meg and our team to come on back up. I'm going to wrap up here. We're going to sing the song we sang at the beginning, Goodness of God. It talks about so many, so many good things about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and his love in our life. We talked about three distinct clear calls God gives the church. Worship, serve, and grow. Together. It's meant to be done together. Together. It's one reason we're going to eat together here in a moment. If you'd like to stay, I'd love to have you stay if you didn't know about it. Obviously, if this is your first Sunday, you didn't know about it. I don't want anybody to feel awkward if you do stay. Like, man, I didn't bring anything. Just bring an appetite. It's all going to be good, I promise you. We don't disappoint in good food at this church. Plus, it's free, so. So what are we going to do looking ahead, church? Are we going to let our personal preferences determine the outcome? Or are we going to make God and keep God the center? I say we make God and keep God the center. Pretty soon, our personal preferences, not all of them will really matter that much. We're going to stay focused and committed to the path God has called us to as a church. And sometimes, as a pastor, it's disheartening at times when you see certain lives unravel and change happens. And you're like, man, I didn't, that's not good. I didn't like to see that change happen. That's tough to swallow to see these people do this or that. But it's also an opportunity to say, hey, Lord, help me just double down and be faithful. That's all I can do is be faithful and obedient to whatever you call us to do. That we're going to carry on and strengthen and straighten these paths of discipleship for people. We want you to be on that. We're going to continue to define and develop 
leadership and ministry teams, and we won't apologize for asking you to serve. We're going to carry on to expand our relational outreach to our community through missions, through outreach itself in the city. And we're going to eventually plant some churches. We are in this together. We are the church, and together we are New Life Church. I love this family of believers. I love this congregation. I once met with a family about a year ago for dinner. They were looking at our church about maybe coming. And and I told them, I said, look, if, if I weren't the pastor of this church, I would still go to this church. That's just how much I believe in you, the people. There are some awesome, amazing leaders in this church. There are some real gifted communicators in this church, way better than me. There are more compassionate people in this church than me. That doesn't make me look bad. That challenges me to want to be better, to want to grow in God, to want to lay down my personal preferences and let the Spirit of God transform this human heart of mine. So we're going to hold steadfast to the prophetic words of the Lord for our church. And we're not going to waver. And with that, I want to draw our attention as a reminder to a prophetic word that the Lord had me give this church on July 30th of 2018. Can you bear with me another moment? The word goes, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. The wind is about to blow. Until then, stay alert and ready. Keep positioning yourself to catch the wave. Don't grow weary of doing well. The real work is beneath the surface where you can't see anything taking place. This is the part where it's hard to just be patient. If you'll hang on and keep doing what you know to do, soon the harvest shoots up through the ground. The rain falls and the wind blows and your life takes off. Until then, keep reading the word, praying, fellowshipping with the saints, tithing, exhorting one another, serving, worshiping the Lord privately and public with other believers. And even though the cloud looks small, it's growing and God is moving. He's working things out beneath the surface and soon you will see the manifestation of that work above the surface. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He always finishes what he started. Stay on the potter's will and let his hands perfect those things that concern you. He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. I echo again, he's not finished with you yet. What once looked like devastation, God is restoring it. What once looked like demise, God is raising up a new one. What once looked like disappointment, God is healing a broken heart. Be encouraged today and know that God has been fashioning you for a purpose. That purpose is greater than what you think. God is greater than what you think. In your eyes, you look like a grasshopper in a giant space. Really? You are the giant looking at the grasshopper. 
David was smaller in stature, but my spirit made him look like a giant. David could see that he was much bigger than the giant he faced because he knew that I, the Lord, was greater than the giant and the entire Philistine army. God says, I am with you and I am for you and I'm turning things around in your life. Keep positioning yourself. Keep doing that in the proper place to keep yourself ready for my move. I'm ready, the Lord says. I'm willing, the Lord says. I'm coming your way, God says. Based on Isaiah 60, verse 22, the smallest family will become a thousand people. The tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Do we have a church here today that wants to make God the center? Do I have a church here today that wants to keep God the center? Do I have a church here today that wants to stay together and together as New Life Church, God will make our lives grow to be what He wants. If that's you, stand to your feet. I challenge you to give God glory with a clap of praise.